The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Here we are, and we are about to start a new sermon series. Now, I know that you've heard, well, some of you have heard many of the messages that I have taught. Some of them, some of them have been extremely memorable. Many of them have been easily forgettable. But today, today we're looking at a sermon series where we're going to look at the sermon that Jesus preached. Now, if you know your Bibles or if you know the Gospels, then you would have read this because Matthew, in his Gospel, at the be- near the beginning, chapters 5 to 7, has this whole sermon over those three uh, chapters. And there is this sermon that Jesus preached is being brought to the people. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Again, some of you will know that. Why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? Well, quite simply, when it starts off in Matthew's Gospel, it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So because of that, because it says, oh, he went up on a mountainside, and he began to teach them, and it's like a sermon, so that's how it gets its name, the Sermon on the Mount. There's a question. What do we know about Jesus? Now, I don't just ask that stupidly, but what do we know about Jesus? Let's just think for a moment. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the sent one. He is the anointed one of God who has come. He is God's son who has come to be the savior of the world. He was born a man. He lived a life of total obedience to God his father. Jesus says this in in John 5.19. He says, I tell you the truth. The Son, and he's talking about himself, I can do nothing by myself. The Son can only do what he sees his Father doing. So Jesus is saying, actually, look, I'm here. I'm the sent one. I'm God's Son. But you know what? I'm not just acting out of my own mind here. I'm here representing my Father who is in heaven. And he also said this, John 12, verse 49. For I did not speak on my own accord, But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Now, I bring that because we're talking about Jesus bringing a sermon. But this wasn't just Jesus bringing a sermon. Who is Jesus? Well, I've just explained. Jesus is here as the Messiah. He is God's Son. And he's not speaking his own words, just like, oh, let's get somebody up here and just give us a little bit of a story. He is speaking the words of his Father in heaven. This isn't just a suggestion of a sermon. This isn't just a good idea that he's bringing. He is bringing the Word of God, the very Word of God to us. So when I say that, you know, like, obviously I seek to bring the Word of God. I seek to bring the best that I can. But I want to show you this sermon is above others. This sermon is God speaking through his Son to us. Now, who was Jesus talking to? I say this, well, he's up on a mountainside, he's speaking to a crowd of people. Yes, but this is different from when he's speaking in the temple. In the temple, he would be speaking to believers, he'd be speaking to all the people around. In the villages, he would be speaking to believers, yes, but also to Gentiles, to those who were non-Jews, those who didn't know about God. But here, on this mountainside, 
he is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to people who have already acknowledged, yes, this is the man I want to follow. I'm following Jesus. Now let me ask you, are you following Jesus? Do you put yourself in that position? Many of us here put ourselves in that position. Yes, if I've become a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus. Therefore, this sermon isn't just Jesus, God's Son speaking, the words of His Father. This is the Father in heaven speaking through His Son, His Word to His disciples. That's how important this particular sermon is. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this sermon. Some of the others are going to be preaching various sections of it. But this morning, the section that we're going to be looking at is called the Beatitudes. And it's right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read the first, uh, from verse 3 to verse 10. So here we go. The Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I should point out that the Greek word makarios, translated here as blessed, we're reading blessed are those, that Greek word also can be translated and does mean happy. Which is why some Bible translations have this as blessed are you if you do this, and others have happy are you if you do this. They're one and the same thing. You are blessed, but you're not just blessed. This is, brings happiness. Now I could ask a question, who here is looking for happiness in their lives? We would be foolish if we didn't raise our hands. Of course we're looking for happiness. I want peace, joy, love. I want happiness. I want to be able to enjoy my life. We are looking for happiness. The whole world is looking for happiness. Now, I'm quite familiar, as I guess many of you are, with these verses. I've read them many times. They seem to be quite poetic, and they seem to be telling us a truth. And yet, here's something else. I don't really understand them. You know, like you read it, and you think, Jesus, if you're going to bring a sermon... Why don't you bring it absolutely basic so we can understand? Why don't you bring it in a way so that it really makes sense to us? And there's things about this that I could probably quote to you, like, you know, uh, I've got to look at my notes even, so I can't even quote it to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. We use that, oh, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, some people say that if they see somebody trying to make peace. They're actually quoting this. But there's one thing to quote it, isn't there? In other words, oh, I've remembered that. There's another thing to say, I understand that. Quoting it doesn't help me that much. It just means I can quote it. Understanding it starts to help me to live it. And a little bit of that is what we want to actually get to today. So we could ask this question, well, is Jesus telling us some sort of parable here? Is it another form of parable that he's saying? Because we know that Jesus taught in parables and used that as a way in his teaching in the villages. No. This is not another parable. Actually, what we have here is that Jesus is giving a concise list of the specifications of what every Christian should be. Whoa, I didn't know that. 
So this is, actually, this is actually, if you like, the model. This is actually what we are supposed to be like. Our characters are supposed to be like. And that's what he's saying. In effect, Jesus is saying, this is what the character of every Christian should look like. Now I can understand why he's bringing it right at the beginning of his message. Because he's setting his, the tone, as it were, of the sermon. He's setting it out in a way of like, guys, this is what you, you my followers, you my disciples, this is the character that you are all to be working on, to be building on, to be having in your life. This is what you Christians, your followers of me, this is what you should be looking like. That is in effect what he's saying. So here are the essential characteristics of a, of a Christian. And he's saying, if you want to live out my message, almost, if you want to fully understand the rest of this sermon, you need to have grasped this. That's important. So when I'm reading this, again, when I'm studying for this message here, I'm challenged in myself to think, like, do you know what? I can just pass over this. Okay, I know it's good. I know it seems to make sense. Blessed are this. Blessed are that. Yes, that's very good. But I haven't really grasped hold of what it means. And now I'm beginning to understand, hey, this isn't just a poetic scene here, a few words. This is actually marking out what my life should be modeled on. This is of vital importance, of vital importance for every one of us. And therefore, we really want to take it to heart, especially for what it says. It says you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. And as I said earlier, aren't we all in the pursuit of happiness? Yes, we are. We want to have a life that is full of happiness that we enjoy. You know what the adverts on TV are like? They're telling us all of these things that we need in our lives to make us happy or to help life to become easier. It's ridiculous. We've just been through Christmas and you'd have seen all the adverts on TV or some of the adverts on TV and they will be telling us how you are going to have the best family time, the best meal, everything is going to be perfect. Well, in my house, it wasn't quite like that. And I don't know about yours. And please, let's not have a general feedback because we might find that our lives, in other words, the normality is different from what they're telling us. You see, the adverts don't bring us happiness. Jesus is saying, and don't forget this is God who is saying, I am telling you what will bring true happiness to you. Well, again, that makes me think, okay, I need to listen up. Because this is something that is going to help me. Now, something else I need to point out. On these Beatitudes, as I read them through, there are actually eight of them. Okay, And this is key for us to understand as well. Jesus is not saying, look, have a look through the list and find the one that you feel fits you the best and just work on that. No, 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 no. Okay? I'm sorry. He's saying all of these need to be in your life. Do you hear that? Not just the one, because we all have a temperament, okay? We have a natural way. You know, some people are, are calmer people. Some people are more assertive people. Some people are, are, are great peacemakers. Other people fumble over their words. We're all different, okay? That's okay. But the tendency is for us to say, my life is a little bit more, I'm, I'm a quiet person. I, I'm a peaceful person. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work on the peacemaking part of it. Because that's what I'm like. Well, great, but you can't forget the others either. Every one of them is important. And we need to take hold of all of them 
and build all of them, not just the pick and mix like we like to do sometimes. No, this is the list that is for all of us and every one of them is to be taken hold of. So what are these essential characteristics that we need to embrace? We need to be poor in spirit. We need to be those who mourn. We need to be meek. We need to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to be merciful. We need to be pure in heart. We need to be peacemakers. And we need to accept that we could face persecution because of righteousness. That's what these characteristics are about. And again, let's now unpack these so that hopefully we can understand them a little bit better. So firstly, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So again, I ask, Jesus, what do you mean? What do you mean? The word poor, so often we attach to a financial situation. You're rich or you're poor. That's what we usually attach it to. But actually, if we stop and think, we think of this word poor, and we understand that poor indicates a lack. So in other words, in financial terms, you have a lot, you are rich. You have little or you have a lack, you are poor. And we could say the same with relationships. We can use it all different ways. But the basic understanding, the word poor means that we have a lack. We're not rich in this. We have a lack in this. And we've remarked that even before the Christian's true, sorry, the Christian's true position is to be just this, that we are to be understanding that we have a lack in comparison to God. That's the key thing, that we have a lack in comparison to him. Here we are. We are humans. We're living on this earth. I know you know this. We're here every day. We're going about our business. And often we think we're above God. In fact, often we think we don't need God. Just by the way we go about. Do you know what? We wouldn't actually say that's the position we want to take But if you stop and think, you can see, it's almost like, I don't need to pray because that's fine. I can just get on with my life. When do we pray? When we're finding ourselves out of control. When we're finding things getting too difficult for us. That's when we're starting to pray. That's when we're focusing our attention upon God. I need him now. Well, you see, you need him all the time. But it's just that now it's gone beyond your ability to cope. You see, you're recognizing you have a lack. And that is what we're talking about here. That we're recognizing to be poor in spirit is that we are recognizing our position against who God is. So we sometimes think we're here and God is here and we can just call upon him if we had a need. No, 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 that's not right. We all know that God is the only uncreated one. The only uncreated one. That automatically marks him far above who we are. He does not slumber or sleep. That also marks him out from us too. Many of us slumber at night, and some of us slumbering even now, but we can't worry about that. No, to be poor in spirit is we're understanding our lack in comparison to God. The poor in spirit is to understand our inability in contrast to God's great ability. To be poor in spirit is to understand that we are humbly dependent upon him, upon God. And that he is greater, far greater than we are. That's that understanding. Now, that's not an easy understanding for us to take hold of. We would think, oh, yes, it is. Of course. And there are moments in our lives when we think like, 
I, I'm just nothing. And God is amazing. Look what he's done. But usually there are moments when God has just answered a prayer or has moved in your life in a way that you know was nothing to do with you. It's far beyond you. And many people have had those experiences where you say, God, you have provided. You have answered the prayer. You have done amazing things. And suddenly you're like, wow. But a lot of the time, we're just saying like, God, yeah, you're all right. Thank you. But we don't acknowledge his position. To be poor in spirit is acknowledging our true position. Is acknowledging our true relationship with him. Now, in the Garden of Eden, when everything started out, this is exactly what it was like. Adam and Eve were living fully poor in spirit, if you like. Fully dependent upon God. Fully understanding who they were in relation to who he was. They had this completely, so much so that they didn't even notice it. They just were who they were. They acknowledged God. They walked with God. They had fellowship with God. They had understanding with God. They knew that God had created them. They knew that he was above them. They knew that he was the source of all wisdom. If they had a problem, go to God. He's the one who can help you. But it's not just a problem. We need him in our lives. So every day was full fellowship, connection with God. That's how it was in the beginning. But you know what? As soon as they sinned, that characteristic was suddenly changed as soon as they had sinned. Because as soon as the sin comes after the fall, Genesis 3 verse 7, we read this. Then the eyes of both of them, this is Adam and Eve, were opened and they realized they were naked. Okay? So what did they do? Did they go to God and say, what do we do? No, 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 no. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you see that? Automatically, there's an independence. Oh, gosh, we've got to do something. We need to help ourselves out. We've got to, we can't ask him because the sense of sin had come into their lives. The sense of separation had come to them. And so they had changed from being in a place where they were poor in spirit, where now their spirits are starting to rise up and say, hey, I can deal with this. How many times, even during this last week, have every one of us in this room actually done something similar to that and you know what we wouldn't have done it if we'd have really noticed it's just that it happens I don't need God I can deal with this I'll get on with this I don't need to pray because I have the resources within myself listen you are not God I am not God what Jesus is saying one of the essential characteristics that we all have to have as Christians is that we have to learn to be poor in spirit, we have to learn that we have a lack when it comes to everything compared to who God is and what God can provide for us. The whole world around us is encouraging us all the time to be independent, self-sufficient, and to stand on our own two feet. And you see, it's hardly surprising that we go through the situation of switching back into ourselves, switching back into our authority, switching back into our ability without even thinking about God. It's hardly surprising because the whole of the world around us is telling us, hey, you, you need to step up. You need to act as an independent. Come on, you need to act out of your own resources. We're being encouraged all the time to understand something that is not necessarily what God wants us to understand. And here's the thing. You see, we are in this world, but you know, as Christians, we're not supposed to be of this world. 
That's the thing. Jesus said in John 18 verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. He came to this earth. Yes. But you see, his kingdom is actually so much greater than. So much greater than. But he came to this earth, but he's saying, this earth is not my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. And of course, we are physically here upon the earth. But we as Christians have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness. Let me say that again. We as Christians have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what's happened to us. Colossians 1 verse 3, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So the Christians are in the world, as I've said. We're here on the earth, but we're not supposed to be following the ways of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. That's who we are. That's everyone who is a believer. That is where we are at. So how does that statement fit into our own lives? This is one of the problems that we have. We've got caught up in the affairs of the world, the ways of the world, the systems of the world, and those systems sap our passion for the things of God. Look at what James says, James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, he starts off. Oh, thank you, James, for being so polite. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world simply with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, you see, you're starting to cut into some of the reasons about why we find it difficult to accept being poor in spirit. Because, you see, actually, we have such an affinity and an affection and a love for the things and the system of this world, which is ruled by the prince of, of darkness, when we're supposed to be obeying the king of heaven. And there's a challenge there. But, praise God, if God is greater than us, which he is, we can go to him and say, God, will you help us with this? And he will, because that is his heart. Will you take us away from the system of this world? And so what Jesus is saying is, blessed, happy are those who are poor in spirit, who recognize the lack that is within themselves in comparison to who God is. Really understanding that, that is what we're talking about. We are meant to live dependently upon him. Now, we've heard that before, but this is what this is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, as I've said, recognizing more and more that I need you, God. That's what it is. Because I can't do this on my own. And that attitude, when we have it, helps us to receive his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. Now just as there was some confusion as far as the first one of these, I also think there's an equal amount of confusion about the second of these beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. When we hear of mourning, what do we think of? Well, our thoughts immediately go to those who've lost a loved one. Somebody's passed away, some friend, some family member maybe, and so they are mourning. And we understand what that means, but that isn't what Jesus is talking about here. And we know in those circumstances we want to come alongside those people, we want to comfort them, we want to help them however we can because of the the grief, the loss that they are feeling. But 
Jesus isn't talking here about blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are in this situation. No, he's talking about the word mourn, which means to grieve. And we understand what it means to grieve. We understand that. But now Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn over the sin that is in their lives and the sinfulness that is all around them. That there is a mourning for the spiritual state of what is in them and around them. And we understand that. Haven't you grieved in your heart over these last two years when you're just watching the news at times? It's not just over these last two years. You've only got to look at the news today. And somewhere there'll be news that's saying like, God, what is going on here? There's a grieving in our hearts. But it's not just of what's going on around us. What is going on inside us? Do we grieve over those things? So when Jesus is saying mourn, he's saying this. It's the same understanding, but he's not talking about those people who have lost a loved one. He's talking about those people who are grieving over the sin and the sinfulness that surrounds them. And we can see in Paul's life that he had learned this very well. We see him mourning over his own sin. In Romans 7 verse 15, he says this, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, for what I, what I want to do, what is, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Sorry, I was reading that rather badly. He is saying, I don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right. Don't we all want to do what is right? We want to maintain that position, stay in that position. But what do we find so often? Ah, I know I wanted to do that, but I found that I've done what I didn't want to do. Now, why on earth did I do that? I hate that. I hate it when I'm no longer doing what I want to do, and now I'm finding I'm doing this, and I know this is wrong, and I don't want to do that. Haven't we all been in that situation? That's the situation that what Paul was in. And there's a sense there in which he is grieving, mourning, that sense of why do I see this in my life? Why is this in my life? In fact, Paul goes on to say, Romans 7, verses 24 and 25, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, he says, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. But you can see what Paul is saying. In fact, in the NIV, Paul is translated as saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. And there's that sense of, oh, I've done it again. And haven't you ever felt that in your own life? Yeah, I have. Ah, oh, it's happened again. I don't want this in my life. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep losing my temper. I don't want to, whatever it may be. I don't want to keep going down that road. But we see that Paul was in the same situation. But he was grieving. And it's good for us to actually acknowledge the fact, look, not only do I not want to do that, Lord, please help me. Help me, because I notice that I keep walking in this way. I notice that I keep falling in this way. I notice within me there's a tendency that doesn't want to say no, or doesn't want to say yes, or doesn't want to agree with you. It just wants to do what I want to do. There's a tendency within me that is burning, and I keep listening to that voice rather than your voice. In fact, sometimes it seems that I can't hear your voice. That's what he's talking about here. And we need to come to a point where we say, God, I hate I hate this. Or as Paul says, a wretched, wretched man, wretched woman that I am. Or as it's translated in New Living Translation, what a miserable person. Because it makes you miserable. Listen, sin 
when we walk in sin, it makes us miserable. What Jesus is telling us is that he wants to make us happy. There's a massive difference, but it requires us to follow the things that Jesus is bringing. I can see we're obviously not going to get through these today, so that's okay. Um, Let me just sort of culminate the end of this one. Now, it's not only that Paul had understood this idea of actually mourning, because we can see that, but I can also see that Paul had also understood that he needed a poverty in his spirit, because he says, it, he says there in Romans 7, what a miserable man that I am. Who will free me? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? In other words, he can see, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I can't manage this. I'm seeing it. It's wretched. I hate it. But he's not saying, like, I must try harder. He's coming to the point of who can save me? I've come to an end of myself. I need a savior. And there is one who has come whose name is Jesus. And he has come to rescue us. When we're in this position, which feels like there's no way out, Jesus has come to rescue us. Poverty in spirit means we're learning to understand, I can't do it. I've come to an end of myself. There's no pro- Look, it's not like, oh, I've come to an end of myself. We need to start that as the beginning. Look, right at the beginning, I can't do it. I need external help. And there's only one person who can help me. And that is God himself. So please, let me come. So we can see there that Paul, he understood this mourning. But he also understood this poverty that was in his spirit. He understood his position. He's resting not in his own ability, but he's resting in the ability of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever notice sin in your life? Don't necessarily have to answer that because it could condemn you. Well, you know it already. Do you notice your sin or do you just live with your sin? Or do you mourn over your sin? You see, I'm understanding there's, there's stages here. Every one of us sins. Every one of us sins. The issue that we're looking at this morning is, look, stop. Do you notice that you sin? Or is it just part of life? Oh, it's just part of life. It's just who I am. Hang on a second. It's not who you were created to be. You were created to be pure, holy. That's what you were created to be. And the thing is, we can sometimes just keep putting up with it. Oh, it's just me. Listen, we're not a long way from mourning. We need to ask God, help us to get to that place. I'm grieving. Lord, I please. This has got to go. I can't stand it any longer. I need you to help me. And you know what? This can be a whole range. As I look out over the congregation here, I know people have got different characters, different problems that they're facing, different issues. But in one sense, we're all facing the same issue. The issue is sin. It's just what area of our lives does it affect us in? Some it's sexual temptations. Some it's lying. Some it's cheating. Some it's anger. Some it's lack of forgiveness. Some it's pride, some it's arrogance. I could go on and on. I don't need to go on. Do we just put up with them and say that's part of natural life? Or are we stopping and recognizing for a moment that before God, a holy God, 
who's actually saying, look, this is how I want you to be. He's saying, I want you to be poor in spirit. Not I want you to be. These are the characteristics that are essential for Christian living. Poor in spirit. Mourning over our sins. And these things don't bring you down. These things bring you up because they are a blessing and they bring happiness into our lives. Okay. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn shall be comforted because there is an answer in Jesus Christ. And next week we'll come back and look at this and we'll get right through the rest of the list. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.